The Tower of Babel The Promise to Abraham The Sons Ishmael and Isaac The Birth of Covenants Every one of these events is an announcement, a declaration of who God is and how He treats His people. As the Word of God has stood the test of time, these records are still a revelation. Well, good morning. My name is Joel Lingenfelter. I'm the executive pastor here, uh, and it's my privilege to be with you this morning. So if you've been with us for a while, um, there was a Sunday in which Pastor Tony described me as the big guy that wears plaid. Uh, and then after that, my wife started choosing my clothes so that I wasn't wearing plaid, but I snuck out of the house this morning before she had the chance to do that. So I, I'm now back as the big guy that wears plaid. Um, <clears throat> it is good to be with you. We are going to use a lot of scripture this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, would you put your hand up and our ushers will be happy to, to get that for you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that home as a gift for us. If you're more of a person who likes electronics and tablets and phones, the YouVersion Bible app has a, uh, an events tab, and in that events tab, you'll find the Lancaster Evangelical Free Church, and there that will give you all the scripture that we'll be using this morning. So as we begin, I've asked my friend Faith to uh, read our passage for this morning. Uh, Genesis 15. Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If, you, if indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to Abram, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. 
In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Thank you, Faith. She said yes before she read the last verse <laughs> with all of those names. Uh, <clears throat> this is indeed the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we just ask that you would be glorified in all that we do. We ask that your word would speak to us this morning. And we ask that uh, you would just in inspire us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we began in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And God made the water and he made the land. And he made the birds and he made the fish of the sea. And he made the shrubs and the, and the trees and the grasses and every living thing upon the earth. And then he made man. Male and female, we were made in his image. Each of us made in the image of God, but together, male and female, a portrait of God. And then sin entered the world. Mankind was placed in the garden to be in relationship with God, to tend the garden. But Adam and Eve both took of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobeyed God, and they broke that relationship, and there were consequences to that breaking. Sin entered the world and it changed everything. They had two children, Cain and Abel. Cain was, was a man of the field, a farmer, one who tended the crops. Abel, a hunter, one who, who brought in game and, and, and meat. And Cain brought an offering to the Lord of just some of his goods. And Abel selected the best, selected the best, the fattest cuts, the choicest meats, and he brought them to the Lord. And the Lord was, was pleased with Abel's offering, but not with Cain's. Cain was downcast and became jealous of his brother. And then he killed him, murdered him in cold blood. Out of that sin, that relational brokenness just continued to fester and got worse. And unfortunately, that murder was not unique to Cain and Abel, but, but spread, and that, that sin just continued to take over what it was to be mankind. And the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. And so in his justice, in his perfect justice, God wiped out every living being, every man, every woman, every child, and every creature that crawled upon the earth, except for Noah and his family and the animals that he took on the ark. God is just, and his destruction of, of mankind and animals was just due to the sin on earth in light of the holiness, the perfect holiness of God. But then God determined to offer something different, something new, but to offer mercy going forward. Now that mercy, he extended through a covenant. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter nine, verses eight to 11. 
Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God made a covenant. So, so what is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a mutual agreement between two parties. So we have a good example of this in scripture. If you look at 1 Samuel 20, you'll see David and Jonathan, right? So Jonathan was the son of Saul. He's the, he's the basically crown prince. He will be king. Uh, and then David is the one that God has taken the anointing from Saul's family and said, no, you will be king. And Jonathan and Saul, and sorry, Jonathan and David were friends. And Saul was hunting David. And, and the two came together and, and this incredibly special thing happened. Jonathan said, God has clearly taken his anointing and he's given it to you. So will you covenant with me that when you come into power, you will be kind to my family? And so, so Jonathan's part was, he didn't turn in David to his father who was seeking him. And David's part was to say, yes, when I am king, I will be kind to your family. Now, standard operating procedure in this time is when you become king, if you're not just the prince, when you become king, the first thing you do is wipe out every living member of the family that you just replaced because you don't want anyone laying claim to the throne. But what David did was he said, hey, find me any living member of Jonathan's family. And there was only one, and that was Meshibapheth. And he treated him kindly. He elevated him, he brought him to the palace, and he cared for him because he kept his covenant with David. See, covenants are, are, are agreements. They're meant to be unbreakable. Galatians 3.15 says it this way. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Did you catch that? No one can set aside a human covenant. So covenants are meant to be permanent. This is something you say and it's like, this is, this is what I will do, right? The most familiar one to us is a marriage covenant, right? I made a covenant with my wife, said, I will be your husband till death do us part. And she made the same covenant with me saying, I will be your wife till death do us part. This is an unbreakable covenant between us. It is meant to be something that, that we will not change because we said before God, this is what we will do. But covenants with God, well, they're different. Now, why are they different? Well, they're different because there's no equal to God. There's no equal to God. There's, there's a, a great theologian, his name's J. Gresham Matcham, and he founded Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And I love this quote here. I think I'll have it for you on screen. It says, God remains absolutely sovereign in his covenants as in everything else that he does. Man does not contract with him, being, man, being God, on anything in the remotest degree resembling equality. The covenant is an expression of God's will, not man's. And man must listen to its terms, trust God that they are holy and just and good, and order his life accordingly. So a covenant with God is something where when God says he will do this and he tells us what our part is, 
That is what we need to do. We need to trust that it is holy and just and good and order our lives accordingly. So God's mercy, right, the mercy that he gave us. So when you look at, at Noah, right, God, God gave mercy. He said, I won't do this again. Even though it was just, I won't do it again. But we need more than just mercy because we can't live up to the holiness of God. And we'll always find ourselves under judgment even if it won't result in a flood. Now thankfully, God knows this. And so after the Tower of Babel and some other things, what happens is the, the, the focus of scripture, up to this point, it has been on the whole world, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's everything, right? It's talked about all the people of the world. But now in, in chapter 12, the focus is gonna narrow and it's get, gonna get very specific. It's gonna be about Abraham and his descendants. Now why is that? Because Genesis chapter 12 is the connection between creation and the incarnation. And the incarnation is when God became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's read Genesis uh, chapter 12, one and three. See, because of the corruption of sin, mankind was not capable of relationship with God on our own. We needed his intervention. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God chose Abraham. God blessed Abraham. And then God began a plan of salvation for a world that was wrecked by the corruption of sin. Now, while people love to debate this sort of thing, in, in scripture, there are generally about five explicit covenants between God and man. The first that we just talked about is, is the covenant with Noah and all creation, right? God promises to never flood the earth again. Now, this covenant was unilateral and it was unconditional. It was simply a promise made to God, one that he has kept, right? There was nothing that mankind had to do to not receive the judgment, God said, I will not do that again. Now the second one, the second one is the covenant with Abraham. God promises to make him a great nation and to make him a blessing to all the earth. Now we just saw that in Genesis chapter 12, but at the beginning, when faith read, in, in chapter 15, we saw this. After, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. And then skipping down a little bit to verses five and six, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Right, and then verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. But God's covenant with Abram continues actually in chapter 17, if we turn a little further. 
And it goes like this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Do you hear the, the Abram side of the equation? Walk before me and be faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. There's a lot there, right? So God has begun to reveal his plan of salvation through the line of Abraham. And you notice there the change is made, right? From Abram to Abraham, which is the father of nations. Uh, to show, God wants to show his desire for relationship and his desire to bless, right? Because he blesses Abraham in many ways. He promises incredible things to his descendants, but also personally. This is the beginning of the, Moses, or Noah's the beginning, but this is the beginning of the covenant with Abraham. And we'll see later how this is fulfilled. The next one is the covenant with Moses and Israel. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus 19. Actually, this, I don't know if this will be on screen for you. I don't remember. Uh, but Exodus 19, verses 4, 5, and 6. Just read you what happens here. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So what follows this, when, when, when God gives this to Moses, what follows is the 10 commandments. It says this is what the people need to do. The 10 commandments, but what we often forget is the 10 commandments for what's written on the tablets, but God actually gave the entirety of the law. So it, it's so much more than just those 10 commandments. It's this is how the tabernacle is to be set up for my worship. And this is what the priests are to do. And this is how the Levites are to serve. And this is how everything is to be arranged because I am holy. And this is who's allowed to come in. And this is who's not. And this is the moral code that you as a people will live under. And these are the ways that you will be together as a community. See, the law, the Mosaic covenant, what... What, what the Israelites are supposed to do, it's impossible. It's what it is to be holy and perfect, and we're simply not capable. So Galatians 3 addresses this. What is the purpose of the law if we can't pull it off? So Galatians 3, 24 and 20, uh, 23 and 24 uh, I think, I don't remember, I apologize if this is on screen. Uh, but let me turn there for just a moment. Galatians 3, 24 and 25, speaking of the law, says this. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Revealed. 
So the, law was on the, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So that word guardian, it, it's a Greek term and it, it's paedagogos. Now that's not one we use every day, but this is an interesting verse to cite because if you ever take Greek, this is one of the things they bring up and say, look, this is a perfect example of a word that doesn't translate well. We don't have someone in our society that fills this role. And so there you'll see guardian, you'll see tutor, you'll see any number of things. And what it really is, is a slave in a wealthy household whose job it is to teach, to instruct, but to be with the, the children, specifically the young men in the house. They're not even really supposed to leave the house without this person in tow who's their protector, but is the one that's continually pointing them, this is how you do what's right. And the idea here is that the law is showing us what's right, but it's not making us holy, right? The law is showing us this is what it is to follow God, but, but it also just puts in sharp relief our inability to do so. So the Mosaic Covenant lays bare our failings. The next one is the covenant with David, and God promises to make his name great and that the savior the world needs would come from his line. This is in 2 Samuel. I told you there'd be a lot of scripture today. 2 Samuel chapter seven, verses eight to 16. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When, when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands." but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so God tells David, your house and your kingdom will be established forever. So each one of these, these covenants, these covenants made between God and man, they actually point to Jesus, the new covenant. So the first one with Noah, it's a covenant of mercy, right? God will not give us what we deserve, like that's mercy. But as God so often does, he goes beyond that and he says, I will give you more than you deserve. I will give you Jesus. And his covenant with Abraham is a covenant of blessing. But what is it? It's that God will bless all nations through Jesus. And then as we're going to see the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant with Moses that is the law, God will fulfill our end of the covenant through Jesus. 
See, this is, where, this is where God is so much greater than we are. He will do not only his part, but he'll do our part for us as well. And finally with David, the covenant is about Jesus. David's descendants, descendant will rule an eternal kingdom. See, after the Mosaic law, that covenant with God, the inability of humans mired in sin to keep their covenant of God. What was the outcome? The destruction of the temple, the end of the monarchy, and the exile of the nation from the promised land. Now this is not unique to ancient Israel. Sin has the same type of destruction in our lives. Sin wrecks everything. And we need a way out. Dan Hollingsworth, he was an interim pastor here many years ago, he was one of our missionaries. In his emails so often, and if you are on his email list, you get a lot of them. Uh, but he uses this phrase, but God, dot, 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 right? Sin ruins everything, and we are lost, but God. <laughs> but God intervenes on our behalf just as he did with Abram. Now remember when, when Faith read earlier, and I, 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 the, this, you know, Abram, he, he sets out the three animals, he cuts them in half, and he falls asleep, and then he wakes up, and what happens? A fire pot and a torch appear, and they pass between the animals. What's God doing there? He's ratifying the covenant, but he's doing all the work. Abraham's doing nothing, he's just lying there, right? And the torch and the fire pass through the middle and ratify the covenant. For each of us, God did all the work on our behalf. He sent Jesus a new covenant. But the beauty is that the new is not separate from the old. Matthew 1, 1, the very beginning of the New Testament says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. The very beginning of the New Testament testifies to God fulfilling his covenants. To Abraham and to David saying, this is where my kingdom will come from and this descendant will rule eternally. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Luke 1, 50 to 55. So this is something we call Mary's song, and it's, it's appropriate, particularly as we go into the Advent. And it talks about God's covenants and God's mercy. I just wanna read that this morning. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our, as our ancestors. Just as he promised. God is good. He is merciful. So what is the new covenant? We talk about it every single time we do communion, right? In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
The new covenant is more than mercy. The new covenant is more than, than we don't get what we deserve. The new covenant is grace. God was and is merciful, but through Jesus, he extends grace to us. Not just withholding judgment and giving us mercy, but offering undeserved forgiveness and immeasurable blessing to us through the person and work of Jesus. Acts 13 says it beautifully. I'm gonna turn there, 13, 38, and 39. One more page. Now when David, sorry, therefore my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Set free from every sin. When I said we had a problem, we had a big problem. Right? We were condemned and we were lost. But through Jesus, we are set free. We are set free from every sin. So the Apostle Paul, as he writes, he does an amazing work in comparing the old covenant and the new. And it's in 2 Corinthians 3. I read something one time that said, no one ever preaches out of 2 Corinthians because you gotta preach 1 Corinthians first and when you're done with that, you wanna move on. Uh, but we're gonna talk about 2 Corinthians Chapter three, verses four to 18. I will read, if you would turn with me. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are confident in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So the letter, the law of the covenant, all the things written, the spirit, the Holy Spirit given to us, the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. So a reminder, if you haven't read Exodus in a long time, Moses would meet with God and he would come out of that tent and his face would be so bright. And when he came off of Sinai after receiving the 10 commandments, his face shone so bright, people couldn't look at him. And he had to veil his face just to protect them from the reflected glory of God. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Right, so if the old covenant was glorious, and that reflection of God so bright that we couldn't even look on it, how much more is the new? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And what, it, what, and what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? The new covenant, the permanent covenant in Jesus. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, we are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses has read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The new covenant, the covenant in Jesus' blood, is superior in every way to the covenants that Jesus fulfilled on our behalf. And I say that, look, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter five. It is, it is easy to think that uh, the law doesn't matter, that those covenants don't matter because they are past. But in Matthew five, Jesus says something very different than that. He says it this way in verse 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is, to accomp is accomplished. Now this is one of those things that, that it's easy to look at and go, How does, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus fulfills the covenant? What does it mean that, that this will remain because we don't follow the law. How does this work? And this is what is so beautiful. This is what comes back to what God does on our behalf, right? He does the work. He does the work. God recognized that we are not capable of fulfilling our part of the covenant. And so he brought us Jesus and Jesus fulfills it on our behalf. Jesus fulfills that covenant. Jesus lived the perfect life. He was the one that did all of it on our behalf. He did it because we were not capable. Just as with Abram, Abram wasn't capable of, of making a covenant with God because he had nothing to bring to the table. And God actually ratified it on his own, taking that, fire, that torch in the fire pot through the middle of the, the sacrifice. God did the work on our behalf and Jesus fulfills the law for us. So what does that mean? Romans 8.1, if you haven't been turning with me, please turn to this. The book of Romans, chapter eight, a friend of mine once described it as the crown jewel of the book of Romans. It is the point, it is the epitome of good news. So Romans eight, verses one to four. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember when I said we had a problem? When I said we were lost because we were sinners? Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We began this series talking about the majesty of the almighty God creating the universe. 
The covenants point us to Jesus. And Jesus is the connection between you and I as individual people and the almighty creator of the universe. In the beginning, God. Genesis 12 narrows that story from all of creation to the story of the people of God, the descendants of Abraham. And Romans 8, 1 to 4, narrows the story to you. If you know Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. But if you do not know Jesus, you are on the wrong side of God's justice and set apart from his mercy and his grace. That's not where you want to be. So how do you get there from here? Well, a couple chapters forward in Romans 10, says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Believe and confess. And then there is no condemnation. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good. Your word is good, and it is called good news for a reason. Lord, we thank you for the covenants. We thank you for the way that you have have made promises to man and kept those promises. We thank you for the way that you have have continually shown us mercy, the way you have continually shown us blessing. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he fulfilled the law on our behalf. We thank you that you did all of the work because we were incapable. We thank you that you have made us holy, that you have made us righteous, that you have called us to a life serving you with our hearts set on you. If you don't know Jesus today, admit that you're a sinner. God, I recognize that I'm not perfect. Believe that God raised him from the dead and then choose to follow him. Just say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done being on my own. I want to follow Jesus today. I want to be under the no condemnation that is talked about in Romans 8. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever, and we praise your holy name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond to the goodness of God.
the goodness of God. He is so, so good. Yes. Psalm 2510 says, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep his covenant. And Jesus keeps that covenant for us because God is so good. And he knew that we needed more than justice. We needed more than mercy. We needed grace. And it was because of the grace of God that he sent us Jesus to fulfill the covenant on our behalf to put an end to our sin problem and give us a way to claim that there is now no condemnation for me. Amen. There is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Go live as redeemed people, serving a good, good God this week. Go in peace. You are dismissed.